Hello and welcome to another edition of the Party Shots Podcast, brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for joining me. Coming up later, I'll talk Premier Lacrosse League with Brendan Burke, who is the play-by-play announcer for NBC Sports Group's coverage. But first... It's Trevor Stake time at Saratoga Racetrack. The race takes place late Saturday afternoon. The draw for the Travers took place Tuesday night. To talk about the horses that will be racing in the Travers and the significant horses who aren't running is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. Mike, hello. Welcome back to the program. And are you ready for a busy week? Um, yeah, I'm already in, kind of in the thick of it as we speak. Um, it's been a busy week already. and It's only going to ratchet up like exponentially from here on out. But that's, you know, pretty... We're, we're used to that drill up here. We've been coming up here for over 30 years now, and Travers Week is always, uh, you know, a challenge, but it's always very interesting as well. Um, and we got a pretty interesting group of horses. As you mentioned, there's a couple that aren't here, conspicuous by their absence, and, and we'll get to that too. But, um, yeah, you know, it'll be a fun race. should be a really good betting race. Um, there's some kind of some interesting different angles in here. So uh, definitely looking forward to the big race, 545 post time on Saturday. Well, let's start with the Travers draw, um, and Tacitus, uh, Tacitus is listed as the favorite at 5-2, to two, and a rematch with Jim Dandy winner Tax. I mean, that seems like it's going to be a uh, sort of a challenge race. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of the theme, but the, you can see from the fact that the, the morning line favorite is as high as 5-2, to two, how, like, it's basically all over the map here in terms of, um, you know, everybody's saying how kind of wide open, and now maybe there's a bunch of them in here that um, came out of the woodwork based on maybe who's not here, um, which is, explains why we got a nice full field of 12 in the starting gate. Um, there's probably some people out there thinking, hey, I got a 30-to-1 shot, but if I finish in the money in a $1.25 million race, um, that's okay because that's you know we're in the business to do that too. So um, let me just rattle through the um, the field and post position order with the odds. Uh, the one is Owendale six to one. The two is Code of Honor four to one. Three is Highest Honors ten to one. Four Laughing Fox thirty to one. Five Everfast thirty to one. Six Tacitus is five to two favorite. Seven Mucho Gusto interesting addition from Bob Baffert is six to one. Eight Chess Chief. 30 to 1, 9 looking at bikini is 10 to 1, 10 scars are cool, great name, 30 to 1, 11 endorsed is 15 to 1, and all the way out in the 12 hole is our buddy Tax, who won the Jim Dandy, and he's 6 to 1. And uh, so uh, his trainer, Danny Gargan, said, we're blasting out of there. If somebody wants to run with us, great. And the fact that they're in the 12 hole, they're going to want to, like, just kind of clear and, and establish early position. He's just flat out said um, we're going to be heating it up uh, early and, and often. <laughs> and, uh, um, so it's going to be a little bit of catch me if you can with tax, based, it, as long as that strategy holds up uh, in the race on Saturday. You, know, you mentioned in your story in Wednesday's Daily Gazette and online at dailygazette.com that Tacitus has uh, been a hard luck uh, horse. I mean, obviously, you know, stumbled out of the gate in Jim Dandy and, and also uh, some problems at the Belmont. Yeah, the Belmont, he had a wide trip, which didn't help his cause at all, especially going a mile and a half on that gigantic uh, track. Uh, in the Jim Dandy, it's really remarkable, and Jose Ortiz said afterwards, I, I don't know how I didn't go flying over the top of this horse out of the starting gate and 
trainer Bill Mott just said today at the draw that um, they, they're just happy that he didn't do a somersault out of there because he came back without any nicks or, or bruises or not banged up at all. And remarkably, he was able to recover and actually get within threatening um, range of attacks at the front and only got beat by three-quarters of the length after that you know, crazy start that they had to kind of work around and recover from. So legit five to two favorite. I mean, there really is nobody in here that um, stands out as like a dominating um, no-brainer favorite. Um, you know, there's a handful that can win it. There's a handful that, like I said before, are just kind of in it um, uh, to get a piece of the action. So, um, but a wide open kind of big field and a lot of crazy stuff can happen. Yeah, I mean, just look, there's like several horses at six to one odds. I mean, Code of Honor is at four to one. Uh, the horses of Mucho Gusto, uh, Owendale, and Tax, both all at six to one. Uh, and Mucho Gusto coming in, uh, Bob Baffert's uh, trained horse, um, is sort of a, he's coming in as a replacement. He's like, this is almost like Baffert said, and he can't stand the idea of not being in the Travers when he's got good horses in the barn because he told us. Three weeks ago at the Whitney, after McKenzie won, the next morning we asked him about game winner. He said, oh, yeah, we're fired up for the Travers. And then in the meantime, he came down with a little ailment, so he's not going to make the race. So he's disappointed by that. And at that time, um, we you know we threw Mucho Gusto out there, and he said, nah, I mean, if, it, if the track looks like it's going to come up muddy, we might think about it because he had a good race in the mud back um a few races back, that if anything, we might go into Allen Jerkins, which is, you know, similar conditions for three-year-olds, restricted to three-year-olds, but seven furlongs instead of a mile and a quarter, and now, boom, here he goes, he just announced, like, yesterday that um, we're, we're bringing Mucho Gusto, and he's a he's an interesting kind of X-factor, and he deserves it six to one, he's won a bunch of great stakes out in California, one time he came out here, he was second in the Haskell last time to maximum security, and I, I kind of think when he's bringing his regular rider, Joe Talamo, out here, I almost think that if they can get away with, like, a slow internal furlong and change it from a mile-and-a-quarter race into basically a mile-and-an-eighth race, he could be a dangerous horse. So we haven't talked to Bob yet, and I guess he's not even coming out here, so we'll talk to his assistant, Jimmy Barnes, at some point this week. But um, kind of fast horse, kind of dangerous, and um, the distance is probably too much for him, but... Like I said, if he can get away with, um, you know, just get a breather in the middle and get a furlong that doesn't take anything out of him, it essentially becomes a mile and an eighth race, which, you know, he ought to be able to handle um, instead of, like, the full mile and a quarter. Um, so he stood out for sure. Yeah, game winner. Um, oh, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say the other thing, and I mentioned this in my story that just, like, screens off the draw sheet is the rider for Everfast, who was, uh, you know, runner-up in the Preakness. He was fourth in the Haskell. And, and trainer Dale Romans is bringing a young man named uh, Martin Schwan, who uh, I guess apparently is a very good rider in Peru. And uh, Ramon Dominguez had kind of scouted him out. They were looking for somebody to be their kind of their guy in Kentucky at Ellis Park. And he suggested this kid, and they brought him up. He's only ridden in the, in the United States 41 times in his whole career. Now all of a sudden... His first ride ever at Saratoga is going to be in the Travers. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, Dale obviously said a lot of nice things about him at the draw, and apparently his son, Jake, is uh, Martin Schwann's agent as well. So there's that connection. But it'll be interesting to see how the kid does against all these, um, you know, experience, including some Hall of Famers like Mike Smith and 
Javier Casuano, John Velazquez, um, you know, and apparently he doesn't even have, like, any other mounts on the card, which usually a trainer or their agent will try to score a couple rides early in the card just so that they can get a feel for the track, because otherwise this this kid, when this starting gate opens, is going to be the first time he's ridden a horse on this surface. And, uh, um, you know, the configurations of different tracks are, are different. The surface is different. It depends on, the you know, what's been happening with the weather during the day. And uh, it was kind of interesting that they have enough confidence in this 24-year-old from Peru that they're throwing him on their, tra- their uh, Travers horse. Well, as we mentioned, game winner not here, uh, and also another horse not here, Maximum Security. Yeah, Maximum Security we've talked about a lot. Uh, across the yeah. by first Kentucky Derby, disqualified and placed 17th. How will their absences affect the uh, Travers? Well, it certainly diminishes the overall quality of the race because those are two really good horses. And let's not forget about War of Will either, who uh, won the Preakness and was absolutely pointing toward the Travers and didn't really run that great in the Jim Dandy and trainer Mark Cassie said, ah, we're going to skip the Travers and wait for the Pennsylvania Derby down in Philly on September 21st. And that horse um, is the only one who ran in all three legs of the Triple Crown, so maybe it was starting to catch up with them a little bit. So they're going to take a, take, you know, take a little more time before they get him back in a race. But again, the overall quality suffers when you don't have game winner for sure, who would have been the favorite, I believe, in maximum security, who probably is the leader of the division based on winning the Haskell after he had gotten beat down at Monmouth. And, um, you know, War of Will, we'll see. I mean, those three, who knows, you could see the three of them going butting heads in the in the Pennsylvania Derby would be pretty amazing. But in the meantime, as far as this race, two things that happen. One, you lose the overall quality, but again, i got to believe a lot of these horses that are in here are in there because, um, hey, why not? If the, if the big guns aren't going to be here, we, we might as well take our shot. Well, it's going to be a very busy weekend at the track. We there are six stake races on Friday. All those six are devoted to a New York Breads, and then on Saturday there's going to be including the Travers seven stake races. I mean, how crazy of a weekend, especially Saturday, is going to be? Yeah, Saturday is just like you're on an assembly line, and it's one big race after another, and you just try to catch your breath and. and keep up with everything. I mean, including the Travers, not counting the Boston Spa, um, there's one, let's see, there's six grade one races for a total of $4.4 million in purses just on those six races. Um, they won't, by the time the podcast runs, they will have drawn those races, but they haven't yet. So, But we do know some of the key principles that are going to be in a, some of them. The one that I'm really, really looking forward to is the personal action, which is older fillies and mares on the dirt. And we're going to see a, a great matchup between a weight and Midnight Pursue. Midnight Pursue is, you know, right now the reigning best top-ranked um, older filly and mare running, um, you know, a distance of ground on the dirt. Um, we're supposed to see Matoli, um who got beaten to A.G. Vanderbilt earlier in the meet. He's coming back in the forego, and he'll be a handful. And, and our guy promises to fill, owned by Voorheesville's uh, Bob Barron, is in that race as well. And he'll have his hands full uh, with Matoli, but promises fulfilled. We know he loves Saratoga because he swept the Amsterdam and the uh, Alan Jerkins last year as a three-year-old. And then the other one, speaking of the Alan Jerkins, that's the other, and it always seems like it's a great race. And, and there's years where you're like, you know, it's almost like the Alan Jerkins, you know, previously the King's Bishop, might even upstage um, 
the Travers in terms of like the quality of the field, and they were going seven furlongs instead of a mile and a quarter. And this year we got Chancelot coming back from the Amsterdam when he ran a hole through the wind. You got another interesting one that's supposed to run mind control who won the hopeful at Saratoga last year. And then just because it can never be a dull moment or anything, we've got a, a horse named King Jack in there, and he will run under the 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 name of trainer Jerry Hollendorfer, who was initially going to be allowed to run at Saratoga, and then Naira changed her mind, and he wasn't going to be able to enter horses in his name, and now suddenly they flip-flopped again. And of course, Jerry Hollendorfer, one of the California-based trainers that was in the midst of the whole... Um, you know, the death um, uh, problem they had at Santa Anita from uh, December to, to May. Um, so they flip-flopped again, and we're going to see one of Jerry Hollendorfer's uh, horses running the Allen Jerkins, because like I said, you know, uh, never a dull moment up here. Well, before we go, Mike, what was your take last uh, on last Saturday's Alabama Stakes and also the Lake Placid? It was a wild day with thunderstorms laying the start of the Alabama, and we had a dead heat for first in the Lake Placid. Yeah, it was nuts, and I mean, it was just crazy, and it just reminded you, reminded me of the 2000 hopeful when City Zip and Yona Guska uh, get heated in the hopeful, and then, like, it's, I remember interviewing um, City Zip's trainer, Linda Rice, like, under just the overhang, just inside the clubhouse, away from the winter circle, because they had just started pouring. Um, it kind of had shades of Birdstone's Traverse, too, where the sky just got black and opened up during the race. Um, so you, you go from this wacky, I mean, the, the storm by itself was nuts. But then they have a dead heat and a stakes race. And then, um, and it was still like stuff was in the city. And they had to delay the start of the Alabama by 11 minutes, um, which was kind of shades of the Whitney last year when they had to delay um, the start of the Whitney um by 44 minutes because of a storm won by Diversify. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening in the course of like an hour, hour and a half, and then Dunbar Road just clearly was the best horse, despite all the circumstances. And she had kind of a weird trip to, um, uh, and uh, for trainer Chad Brown, and, and, you know, she in a weird division that doesn't really have a standout right now, just based on her Alabama win, she might be the best three-year-old filly in the country, but we still have a few more races to go to figure that out. Well, Mike, as always, we look forward to your coverage, especially this weekend, uh, and you can look, uh, fans, horse racing fans can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. Mike, thanks for your insight. And by the way, I forgot to ask you, do you have a pick for your Travers? You're going to wait till uh, Saturday. You're going to have to read it in my column, and it's going to probably be at the bottom, so you're going to have to wade through the whole thing. Now, this is the 150th running of the Travers, so I, I wanted to, like, maybe hit on some of the historical notes over the years, um, the race that I've been covering for over 30 years. So I'm going to write a column about that Friday for Saturday. In the bottom, there will be that little nugget that everybody really is just dying to to read my pick in the Travers, which, um, yeah, um, good luck with all that. All so. right. Well, thanks, Mike. We'll talk again next week. All right. Thank you, Ken. All right. Thanks. Good that's, luck, everybody. All right. That's Mike McAdam. Coming up, Premier Lacrosse League is coming to the area. Uh, I'll talk to NBC's play-by-play -play announcer for the league's telecast and a voice familiar to New York Islanders fans. Brendan Burke joins me next. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast. Hey Saratoga horse racing fans, want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate to a Capital Region dining establishment? Then play the Daily Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. 
Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racecourse. The winner receives a $50 gift certificate to an area dining establishment. To play, go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. To see the list of dining establishments participating, pick up a copy of the Daily Gazette. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Taste, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android in your app store. Back on the Parting Shots Podcast, my next guest is the play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders on MSG+. Plus. You can also catch him doing NHL games for NBC. And this summer, he's calling the action of the inaugural season of the 16th Premier Lacrosse League, which will be making a stop at the University at Albany's Tom and Mary Casey Stadium on Saturday and Sunday. And whenever Mike Emmerich decides to hang up the headset, I believe this gentleman will be a candidate to take over for Doc. Please welcome the former play-by-play voice of the Utica Comets, Brendan Burke. Brendan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, that's, that's very kind of you, Ken. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And I, you, I believe you'll be one of those guys who plays Doc. You're doing such a great job with the Islanders as well as uh, uh, NBC. Uh, you're making a name for yourself. Well, it's been, uh, it's been a fun few years since making the transition from uh, Utica and the American Hockey League up to, to the big show. It's yep. been a lot of fun. Great. Well, let's talk about this venture you're doing right now uh, with the, the uh, Premier Lacrosse League. How's the first season of the league been? It's been great. I think, uh, you know, there was a level of uncertainty coming into the season about everything. How is this going to work? What are the games going to look like? How are these teams going to play? And I, I think the level of competition – uh, I think all of the rule changes that they made uh, in kind of an experimental way, I think they've all worked to do exactly what they hoped they would do, speed up the game, increase the intensity, uh, you know, and just kind of make the games more exciting. So I love the shorter field, love the shorter shot clock. Uh, the face-offs have been great. So really all the rule changes uh, have played out, I think, exactly how they hoped they would. I mean, the league is obviously a, a traveling roadshow, no home sites uh, for these teams. I mean, does that affect the attention it receives? And do you think that the league will have some home bases next year? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think that, you know, if, if you're going to have a, a a national sport, and that's what they're trying to do with the Spirit of Cross League is make it the national sport and have interest all over the country. If you pick six cities and hunker down at only six cities, you're hyper-localizing it immediately. And so by visiting all of these different markets and getting people to be able to follow it week in and week out with every game available on either television or through NBC Sports Gold. Uh, you can follow the games every week without attending the games every week. And then when you, it comes near your city, uh, it becomes a big event. So uh, I think in, in maybe in the, in the distant future, that's the idea behind it is to get home cities, but they're going to have, have a much bigger league than six teams at that point if they want to you know, hunker down into the host cities. Do you think they might add teams next year? I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't think if they're if they're still going to do one site uh, for all the games, I don't necessarily think it makes sense to, to try and play more than three games in a weekend in one market. So um, I, I don't know what their plans are, but I think that, that three games is, is probably right in a good spot. I mean, I guess they could potentially add two teams and try and do two games uh, on Saturday, two games on Sunday, things like that. But uh I think right now they've got a pretty good event style for the weekend with the three games that they have, whether it be a Friday night to Saturday, a Saturday night to Sunday, however they want to arrange it, you know, they can play with that. But uh, I like the three games, and, and obviously I get to call three games. I don't necessarily want to do four in a weekend, but we'll see where that goes. Well, obviously there's another outdoor lacrosse league with the major lacrosse league. I mean, is there any conflict with that? you think there's a, a, a battle going on between those two leagues? 
I think that you know every team, every league is going to want to have the best players in their league, and I think right now the Premier Lacrosse League has taken you know the vast majority of the high end players that are playing professional lacrosse. So I'm, I'm sure there's some some issues there, um, you know. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, and, and you have those those six teams in Major League Lacrosse that are based in cities, uh, you know. There's still a market for that, I think. It's kind of like minor league baseball, where if you want to go and hang out and, and watch a game and they're in your city, you can go do that. But if you want to follow you know, what they're going on in the Premier Lacrosse League, you've got the opportunity to follow it on TV, follow it online, uh, and then go when it comes near your city. Well, this weekend is going to be a homecoming for several former UAlbany lacrosse players. And two of the top players in, in the league from UAlbany are attackman Connor Fields and goalie Blaze Reardon. Uh, they both play for league-leading chaos. Uh, Fields is tied for the league, league in goals at 21 and fourth in scoring with 32 points. Reardon is third in save percentage at 56.2%. Yeah, Chaos plays Saturday night at eight against Atlas. You know, talk about their contributions to the league. Uh, Connor Fields is a superstar. I mean, there's really no other way about it. He does something, at least one thing, every single game that makes you go, wow. <laughs> and, and it's been really fun to watch. I mean, whether it's just behind the back or through the legs or a no-look or one-handed or whatever it is or some combination of all of that, uh, he's going to do something every weekend. So uh, he's been one of the most exciting players to watch. He's a guy that, you know, when he has the ball, you, you, you perk up, you sit at the edge of your seat because you, the expectation is you're about to see something that's going to amaze you. So um, I think he's been a really, really fun part of that chaos offense, which is probably the most exciting team in the league to watch if you like to see goals scored. Uh, and Blaze, you know, Blaze is, he's been solid in net. Uh, you know, goalies have a tough, tough time in this league because of all the talent they're facing on a regular basis. And um, he faces more shots than anybody. You talk about his save percentage, but the volume of shots, uh, the defense, the way they play around him, they're okay with giving up shots. They just want to get him up in the right spot. And so he gets some pretty good looks, and he's fearless in net. And we saw him back in, in L.A., uh, at the All-Star game, he was one of the All-Star goalies, and we saw him play a whole quarter at attack because he has that skill set as well. So he's a fun guy to watch, and you never quite know what he's going to do, especially you wonder this weekend, going back to Albany, trying to put on a show uh, with his team already locked into a top-two matchup for the playoffs. There's not a whole lot to lose if they lose the game. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him wander out of the offensive half of the field at some point this weekend. That offense sounds like the Edmonton Oilers of the 80s with Gretzky and Messier and Coffee, and just, you know, Grant Fjord has to face a lot of shots, and, you know, he has to just stop what he can. Yeah, and that chaos team, I mean, they've got some of the biggest scoring threats from the back end as well. That, that two-point threat, the bomb squad, as they call themselves, uh, is very much alive. And so a guy like Jared Newman, who's one of the best post defenders in the league, you know, also has five two-pointers. So uh, anyone on that chaos team can score pretty much at any given time. <laughs> How important is it to promote players like Connor Fields and Blaze Rudin, uh, some of these superstars, to get more attention for this league? How can they do that? Yeah, I mean, how, how important is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's huge. I think especially when you're talking about a league that doesn't have that, that city affinity, that geographical affiliation with a place, the way you're going to get people to buy into a team and buy into the league and have a rooting interest in things, it, it's about individual players and it's about personalities and it's about creating superstars. And so marketing these players and getting people to understand who they are, where they've come from, what their story is, and having a connection with some of these players, whether it be 
where they went to college, where they grew up, all these different things that come into it. They're trying to hook you in on the specific players and not necessarily, you know, because this team has a cool logo, which is why some people root for some teams, and that's fine too. So, uh, you know, the, the league kind of gives you the freedom to choose how you want to root for which team you want to root for, and a lot of that I think has to do uh, with individual players that fans are connecting with, and then they go, you know what, I like this Connor Field guy, I'm going to root for chaos. <laughs> Brendan Burke joining me here on the uh, Parting Shots podcast. Brendan, uh, obviously we uh, did, uh, told you about the hockey, your hockey uh, play-by-play. You're well-known for that. But a well-informed source has uh, told me that uh, you had never really done lacrosse before. Uh, I'll reveal my source later. I mean, normally reporters don't reveal the sources, but I will reveal them later. But uh, how, how has the adjustment been, or has there been an adjustment uh, calling lacrosse as opposed to hockey? Yeah, you know, it, it, I really, I called one lacrosse game when I was in college uh, prior to my time here at CLL. Um, and I don't even understand how I called that game because I really had to learn how to do it, you know, heading into the season. So the adjustment, surprisingly for me, has been way easier than I anticipated just because those rule changes that I mentioned, the shorter shot clock, uh, the, the face-off rules being tweaked, the shorter field leading to more transition, it has somewhat of a hockey feel to lacrosse, more so than certainly the college game does, and even, you know, Major League Lacrosse. It just has that pace and that feel like a hockey game. And so the transition for me has been certainly, you know, rules and, and skill sets and certain, you know, schemes and, and different things like that, you know, has been certainly different. But the pace, the cadence of calling the game, you know, in my eyes on television, coming from hockey to lacrosse, it's just been a very slight adjustment, and I felt really comfortable right away. Uh, and, you know, here we are nine weeks into the season, throwing the All-Star game. I've, I've seen a whole lot of lacrosse. I, I feel like I'm an expert now after one season. <laughs> well, let's talk a little hockey here for a second here. We're about a month away from the start of NHL training camps. Islanders had a good 2018-19 season, swept the Penguins in the first round of the playoffs before getting swept by the Carolina Hurricanes. And they lost goalie Robin Leonard to Chicago in free agency, but they do have another outstanding goalie in Thomas Grice, and they added Simeon uh, Valamov. They have an outstanding coach in Barry Trotz. So how do you think the season is going to be shaping up for the Islanders? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, what, what the Islanders proved last year was that, obviously, coaching is very important and system is very important and that buy-in is very important. And, you know, they won the Jennings Trophy for having the lowest goals against average in the league, you know, combined between the goalies, not just – Robin Leonard was a a finalist, but Thomas Wright as well. And a lot of that has to do with the way they played in front of them, the defense. And so you're returning all of your defenses. You're returning half your goalie fandom. Uh, and and I say defense, but it's team defense the way they play. It has to do with the way the forwards play as well. So, um, you know, all of those guys coming back another year under their belt in terms of, you know, playing with Barry Trotz and playing in that system. So I think they're set up. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, rolled them off last year. They finished with the fifth best record in the National Hockey League. And while they didn't make a whole lot of changes coming into the season, and a lot of people are going, hey, everybody else is getting better. These guys didn't get any better. We're going to pick them to miss the playoffs. I, I mean, why? <laughs> they're still a good hockey team. They still have the same coaching staff. Uh, they, they've got good goaltenders. And, uh, you know, I think they'll, they'll be just fine. Finally, my source is someone you and I both know, Eric Hornick. Uh, he does just, he's a stat man for the Islanders for your home games on MSG+. Plus. Uh, he'll be here this weekend helping you out from lacrosse. I've known Eric through um, Union College for like 25 years of covering the, the Dutchman. Uh, I asked uh, him for, for um, an off-the-wall fact about you, and he told me you once called a minor league baseball game on a mattress. Please explain. That, that's a true story. 
story. That was with the Lakewood Blue Claws back in 2007 or 2008. Uh, and, yeah, I, I spent uh, – it was a promotional thing. They, they sold the sponsorship to Sleepy's, I believe it was, and uh, hung out on the concourse behind home plate in a bed, and people looked at me like I was crazy, and I couldn't really see the ball. But, uh, you know, I guess the sponsor was happy. <laughs> Things you got to do in minor That's leagues, huh? About. <laughs> yeah, get... it's all about my league. It's a good story. <laughs> it pops up every once in a while when people ask me about it. <laughs> so, hey, Brendan, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, with my middle initial, which is Matthew, so Brendan M. Birch uh, on Twitter. That's where you can find me. Apparently, Brendan Birch is very popular already. So. Uh, okay. Well, and, and, you got, and you got the blue checks. You're, you're, you're famous, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, have fun this weekend. I'll try to come over and say hello, and uh, we'll talk more once the hockey season gets going. All right, perfect. Thanks for having me up. All right, that's Brendan Burke. I'll be back to wrap up the. I'll be back up. Uh, back to wrap up. I can talk. <laughs> I'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hey, pro football fans, it's time again to match wits with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, go to dailygazette.com football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game Sponsored by River Sportsbook at dailygazette.com slash football. Back to wrap up the podcast with a couple of notes for you. Fox Sports will televise Saturday's Traverse Stakes starting at 5 p.m. And it can be seen in the Capital Region on Fox 23. Also, the posting of the podcast will return to Thursdays starting September 5th. And that'll wrap up this edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank my guest, Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam and New York Islanders and Premier Lacrosse League play-by-play announcer, Brendan Burke. The Parting Shots podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette Newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Good day, good sports.